Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the digital marketing podcast for tech marketers who are sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. So in this episode, number 21 of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, I interview Justin Jackson. Uh, Justin Jackson is a Canadian entrepreneur. He's an author, a podcaster, public speaker, a YouTuber, and he basically advises uh, software and SaaS companies on growth, on marketing, on the job to be done, methodology, on product development. And he sold nearly 5,000 copies of his books, Marketing for Developers and Jolt. Uh, you can find his website on uh, justinjackson.ca. Um, so in this episode, we're going through his, his story, how he managed to to turn his career as a social worker into one in product marketing. And this episode is really relevant for developers and technical people who are not necessarily marketers themselves, but want to launch a product or service. So we are going to go through a step-by-step -step methodology in order for you to make progress uh, in your life, help your customer to make progress in theirs, research customers in their habitat, pick the right market, and ultimately sell a lot of copies of whatever you're trying to sell. So it's an interesting episode. It's also relevant for marketers because there's a lot of good ideas there, but it's extremely relevant to technical people. So as usual, have a listen and let me know what you think. Justin, uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. So you're known for a book that you've published almost two years ago called Marketing for Developers. And you're helping marketers, like people who are not marketers, like developers, product people, artists, to, to actually get customer and revenue. But the first question to you would be, why do you think it's so difficult for them to get customers and revenue in the first place? Mm, I mean, I think it's hard for everybody. But I think people that like to make things just for the joy of making them, uh, so people get, that get excited about a particular piece of technology or get really excited about, you know, uh, coding practices or, or the technology stack or trying out something new. Um, sometimes they just want to make because they like to make things. And, uh, you know, they've, they may have also heard that you can make a, you can make money or make a business out of, uh, building apps and, uh, things like that. And, I think sometimes they think, well, if I just make it, I'm good at making things. If I just make it, it'll just kind of sell itself. And the way I, I approached marketing for developers was actually, I, what people wanted was tactics, and there's lots of tactics in there, but what I really started with is how to build a product people want. Because I think 99% of marketing is actually just building a product that people want. So, And I got a little bit of flack from that. Uh, about that. Like, why, why does this book start talking about how to build a product? And the whole reason is that once you have something people want, it's a lot e easier to market it. Absolutely. And I believe the exact same thing. And even, I would go even deeper than that. If you have a shitty product or if you have a company selling a product that is not good or that really have to force in, like force people to buy it, this is when mm -hmm. bad marketing happens. This is when you have to create, to use shady, manipulative marketing tactics, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think there's also this idea, especially in technology, that if you create something that's really unique and cool, um, something that's special, that people will automatically flock to it. And I, I think products, 
people only use products for one reason, and that's to make their lives better. And so when you think about it that way, it's not so much about us, the people making the app. It's not so much about us and how clean our code is. It's all about making other people's lives better. And so for me as a shitty programmer, I mean, I, I could cobble to something together that could help make more progress in a user's life. So I could help, you know, if I'm helping them achieve their dream better than someone with clean code, I'm still going to win because that's all people want. All they want is progress. Now, that's not to say the tech, like the technology stuff's not important. Um, if, you know, if your application has really serious uh, performance problems, that becomes a marketing issue too. But at its very basic product and product marketing is just about showing people that this thing is going to make their life better. You're making a good point, at, uh, a very good point uh, at the start of your course for, for marketing for developers. You explain, you go through this the example of Flappy Bird and the success, phenomenal success they had, and he had, the creator had. And a lot mm -hmm. of people tend to think that uh, because of their survivor bias, that uh, it's you know, it could happen to them as well. Well, it's, it's almost impossible for anybody to have the same success. So marketing is needed. And there is this book, um, that Intercom released, uh, a few weeks ago now, um, for startups, uh, and they explained mm -hmm. the top 10, you know, reason for failure of, of marketing. And, and most of them, uh, for, for startups, most of them are coming from, from marketing, poor marketing yeah. foundations, you know? Yeah. And ho I mean, hopefully that's good for people like us. Because I think marketing is just starting to get more respected. So for a long time, especially in technology, people felt like marketers were just kind of swarmy, like not, like not nice people. And now I think people are seeing, no, these people have a lot of domain knowledge. And it's actually a really important part of building a product is having a way of communicating the value that product provides to the user. And so to me, marketing is everything from building the product, figuring out what you're going to build, all the way through to customer support. Um, it's like you, you're marketing at every step of that uh, funnel. And um, I think now it's just starting to kind of get its due. Like this is not just something that, you know, sleazy people do. It's, it's a, <laughs> there's actually a lot of value a marketer can bring to the table. Amen. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. So before we drill down into a little more details on how to do that and how to apply marketing in your business, I just want to explain a few things. So I was looking for new guests in my podcast and I asked a Facebook group on a Facebook group, you know, what type of, give me the names of like no nonsense marketers, you know, that would, you know, that you would recommend and your mm -hmm. name kept coming up and I was like, it feels like, it feels familiar. And, and I realized that I actually read one of your essay, one of the best piece of content I've ever read actually, uh, called, you know, this is a webpage that you wrote. A few. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So for the listeners out there, just Google, this is a webpage and read, uh, what Justin has been, uh, has wrote. It's actually really good. So I knew you from, from before and I kind of always feel when I interview people that I know them and they don't know me. And it's always <laughs> a great, great, great fun because I'm like, I know, I know a lot of stuff about them and they don't know anything. 
about me, which is good. <laughs> so you launched marketing for developers around two years ago. Then you launched a course about it. You also have a community called Product People Club. You have podcasts like Mega Maker. So you've done a lot of things. And before that, you were a product guy for Madeout and, and Sprintly, right? There's mm -hmm. one thing when I looked at your background that really flashed and like really told me I need to ask this question. So you studied management marketing up until, and you, you graduated in 2001, which is a while yeah. ago, isn't it, Justin? No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah. you started those product stuff in 2008. So mm -hmm. what happened between the two in those seven years? Well, I was working in nonprofit, in nonprofit world uh, with teenagers. So I was basically a social worker for <laughs> those eight years. Not, I mean, in retrospect, it seems odd because I was so into computers and entrepreneurship up till that point. I had my own business in college, but there's this organization that had, you know, this mission and I thought I should join up with them and I ended up staying longer than I thought I would. Yeah. So then when I finally did join the, when I finally started working for a software company, it wasn't until I was 28 years old. And by that point, I felt like I was ancient, you know, <laughs> uh, already one of the oldest people in the room. So, and I had to start at ground level there because I'd been away from technology for so long. I mean, I always used technology even when I was working, you know, for the nonprofit. But once uh, I came back, I had to start, you know, answering phones and customer support. And I kind of worked my way up and eventually became product manager there. But yeah, it was. I'm a, a late bloomer when it comes to the tech industry. Well, there's nothing to be ashamed of. I think it's actually the brightest people don't necessarily have a, a linear type of you know growth where they start in the first job, second job, then they create their business. It never really works like this. So it's actually quite quite nice to hear that that you had experience outside of product or tech because empathy is something that you probably developed quite a lot in a nonprofit. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing I, because you're, when we're, you're working with teenagers, it's all about going to their world and hanging out with them wherever they're hanging out. So there's like kind of two schools of thought with, um, with youth work. And one is that you get kids to come to you, to your center or your special drop in place or whatever. And then the second school of thought is no, you need social workers that actually go to where kids hang out. And if you think about that, that's actually very, that kind of uh, matches up with lean methodology. Like there's some people that just want to stay in the building and just want people to come to them. And then there's uh, people that want to actually get out of the building and go hang out with real human beings. Here's an example of this. In, inside of Tiny Marketing Wins, you can ask me questions. That's one of the features. It's kind of like a Reddit style threaded kind of AMA feature. And so one guy said, you know, how do I get customers attract customers in the jewelry industry. And I'm thinking like, man, you're in the jewelry industry. Like, why don't you just go and hang out with some customers? Like, go find some customers. And I, I just realized most people aren't wired this way. And so I took my camera. This is on YouTube. And I went down and I, I kind of snuck my phone in videotaping. I snuck into a jewelry store and watched people buy jewelry. And... I learned kind of more about how people buy jewelry just observing those folks in 10 minutes than I would have ever just sitting on my computer 
trying to research, you know, how do people buy jewelry on the internet? I could actually watch people, what they do and, you know, kind of form a hypothesis based on those observations. And in this case, my observation was, uh, 90% of the products in a jewelry store are for women. But at least when I was there, a hundred percent of the customers, people buying are men and they were all awkward, all like they, all of them were uncomfortable. They didn't want to be there. They didn't know what to choose. And I think we can identify with that, right? If you, you're buying something for your significant other and you don't know anything about jewelry, it's kind of a stressful situation, right? So being able to observe that, I felt like I would be able to better market to those people. Cause now I can say, Oh, I see the obstacle in your life. It's that buying jewelry makes you feel uncomfortable. And here's a solution. I'll make jewelry buying easier, or I will uh, paint the picture of a better life that you're seeking. Right? So in this case, what do they want? They want their significant other to think they're like the best, you know, like they want to feel like the romantic partner. So I think working with teenagers taught me that, that you can't just stay in the building. If you really want to connect with people, if you really want to observe people, if you really want to understand them, you have to kind of go where they're at. And that could be physically, but it could also be online as well. Just hanging out with people in forums, on Quora, on Twitter, in Facebook groups, like actually spending time in those groups, not just like going in and spamming them, but actually like seeking to understand people will go a long way in, in product and marketing. So yeah, I knew you would find a link between uh, your ex- previous experience <laughs> and this thing. Um, right, so let's dig into the bad marketing type of thing. And you started to discuss that uh, a little bit. Why do you think marketers have a bad reputation? And specifically amongst non-marketers? Well, there is a lot of bad marketers that are doing things that aren't great. Right. What kind of things? Uh, I think I, I think the other thing is that marketing, no matter what, marketing is just trying to get your message through the noise. And good marketing, the message from for good marketing is here's where you are, here's where you want to go, here's the obstacle in your way. We help you overcome that obstacle. But you know, by its very nature, like because it's trying to communicate through the noise, marketing creates more noise. Gary V has this slogan where he says, marketers ruin everything. And I think that's true. I think at the end of the day, even good marketers eventually ruin everything. They, they ruin channels because, you know, that's the way to get your message out. And so I can understand some of, some of it, like between the bad actors and the fact that if, if all you want is peace and quiet in your life, then you, you probably won't like marketers because we're always trying to be loud. We're trying to break through the noise. We're trying to, you know, get seen. So I think that's part of it. I think there's, but I think there's also this idea that, you know, um, marketing a product is somehow like, I don't know, uh, undesirable or something like dirty. just because you've, yeah, dirty or whatever. And the fact is, is like maybe Maybe some people in the tech industry don't understand this right now because there's a huge demand for their services and not as much supply. But in a, in a normal kind of supply and demand equilibrium, you need to <laughs> you need to promote what you've made. Like you can't just let it sit. And most of the people who you know came to me and were asking me questions, this is why I wrote marketing for developers, was they said 
I just finished my app. I've been working on it for three years. How do I get customers? I'm like, well, <laughs> you should have been marketing all along. You should have spent 50% of your time marketing and 50% of your time uh, building your product. And they're like, ah, marketing's so gross, yucky. I'm like, well, okay, well, <laughs> there's no way people are going to buy your product unless they know about it. And in fact, it's probably going to take seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 touch points before they even know who you are, much less want to buy this thing you've made. So I, it's not, there's no like simple answer. Like there are some bad marketers, there's some bad marketing and marketing by its very definition creates more noise. But if you are going to create something and you want people to use it, it's the only way to get their attention. It's the only tool we have so far for getting their attention. And so, um, you know, in that sense, I think it's a, it's a good thing. What type of bad marketing do you kind of hate the most that you see online? Uh, it's like so funny. Yeah, it's so funny because I'm trying to, my, my theme for this year for myself is get over yourself. <laughs> um, you know, I, I can form all these opinions and I do have a lot of opinions like, I wrote this one blog post called The Coupon Code is a Slap in the, in the Face. And the whole idea was when I get to a checkout, I don't want to see a coupon code form field because it just makes me feel like I'm missing on a deal. But marketers use those all the time. And I use them all the time too. Like They're an effective way to drive purchases. They're an effective way to get people to buy. But on the receiving end, I'm like, man, I hate it when I see one of those coupon code fields and I don't have a coupon code. You know, it just makes me feel like I'm a lesser customer or I'm missing out on something. Uh, I, I don't really like welcome mats. I don't really like pop-ups, even though I know that they can work for getting more email subscribers. Um, I don't really like like these big, long click funnel landing pages where everyone's selling funnels and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what I think. Like the, there's, uh, there's some people that think I'm a yucky marketer. So I, I might, I can say I'm sanitized and I'm like, uh, a non sleazy marketer, but it all depends on where you're sitting. Right. And usually it depends on where you're sitting and how you make your money. <laughs> like, yeah. like uh, Airbnb. Everyone's like, "Oh, Airbnb, they're so classy and dignified," but they had the like the worst marketing practices ever. They would spam Craigslist ads and like, um, you know, they were just doing all sorts of things that I think most folks would be like, "Ah, that's a little bit sleazy," but that's what they had to do in the beginning to kind of get to get traction, right? And eventually that channel didn't work for them and they moved on to other stuff. But if, if a certain marketing tactic is working for you and you're not taking advantage of people, maybe that's the thing. I, a lot of bad marketers take advantage of people. That's probably the... <laughs> I should have just said that. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Okay, we'll do it again. No, but to answer your question, I think there are some like principles behind it that are true regardless of the point of view you have. Exactly as you said, if you take advantage of people or if you lie to them or if you make them believe something that is not true, I think all of that is 
bad marketing. And yeah, everybody will do it once in their lifetime. And it's not about blaming them for doing it. It's more about trying to find alternatives to doing it, right? So mm -hmm. just to go back to one thing you said, you, you said that you didn't really, really like pop-ups or welcome mats. Just to, to explain to the listeners who don't necessarily know what a welcome mat is, it, it will be like a, a sort of a big sign-up form appearing in front of you before the website will appear and you kind of forcing you to, to subscribe to make it disappear almost. So that's the one you're referring to. Uh, but yeah. I would, I'd like to encourage people, the listeners, to go to your website and see the way you've done it. Because to me, this website is kind of your signature. It's kind of the summary of what you believe in. So uh, it's justinjackson.ca, right? Yeah. So you'll see, I'm not telling more. If you're listening and you don't know, if you've never been to his website, go on it and you'll see what I mean. So how do you think marketers can make the web a, a better place though? Like, is there anything we can all do to make the experience a bit more enjoyable for people? Hmm. That's a really great question. I mean, one thing is I think, again, I think marketing really is just communicating. And so I'd like to see, I, I think the web needs better writing. And so I think one way we contribute is through good writing. Yeah, and I think just being thoughtful through everything, like just because a technique is working doesn't necessarily mean we should use use all those techniques. And I, I wrestle with this all the time, which is, you know, man, this thing is really working, but I just don't feel right about it. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel good at the end of the day. What example maybe do you we, have? Well, I mean, I think pop-ups is one. So on my personal side, I don't use pop-ups, but on, I, I think I have it on marketing for developers. There's an exit intent pop-up. So that's like, when someone's read the site and they go to close the tab, it pops up saying, hey, before you go, can you subscribe? I find those less insidious than a welcome mat because a welcome mat blocks you from seeing the content in the first place. But an exit intent pop-up says, hey, you're leaving. Why don't you just subscribe and then you can hear from me again in the future? But I think it's a good idea to constantly kind of be evaluating the techniques we're using and evaluating, you know, whether they're worth it. And, you know, I've done work for clients that in the past product marketing stuff that I just wasn't proud of, like, uh, cold emailing people, like cold emailing, uh, lists that haven't opted in. I just hated that stuff. And I think if we don't like doing that stuff, we should just not do it. We, we should, uh, you know, in my case, I said to the client, I can't keep doing this. It's just not, I don't feel good about it. And I mean, ultimately, we have to deliver on our promise. So if, if we're selling something, we have to have product market fit. We have to be able to provide something that actually doesn't just promise a real change in someone's life, but actually delivers on that promise. And I think that's the trickiest part is that you know, a lot of marketers once, well, a lot of marketers, once they have the lead, that's it, they're done, right? And then kind of full stack marketers will carry it right through to conversion. But after convert, after they convert to a customer, it's like kind of hands off. We never get to see sometimes, you know, whether what we promised actually ended up happening. And I think that's important. If we want to build trust, we actually have to be on the product side also saying, okay, 
I just promised Janet from Idaho that this would make her life better. And it, we got to deliver on that promise. Like we can't just hand that off to other people. Because at the end of the day, it's about creating good customers that will stick around in the long term. And that's as a marketer, if you're able to create that type of customer, then your job is, is much easier because they'll refer you to others. They'll, they'll be much happier. They would, they won't be, you know, consuming the, the customer service hours, uh, and, and team as much as others. So it's a win-win really. Um, mm -hmm. so you've, you've touched on exactly what I wanted to talk to you about in more detail. You said that it's actually the, the hardest part is actually to, to create something that people want in the first place. And yeah. knowing your course and your book about marketing for developers, I know that this is kind of the first step. So mm -hmm. uh, obviously it, it deserves more than the, the length of this episode, but I thought that perhaps we could go through the main steps together uh, yeah. and explain that in more detail. So how yeah. do you do that? Step one, what do you say to somebody coming to you and say, okay, I haven't created something yet. I kind of have this idea. Mm -hmm. How do I do it? So before you build anything, before you even have an idea, I think you need to start with people. So that's, and I've talked about this a lot so far. I think if you are brand new to building products, you should build a product for uh, someone or an industry or peers or uh, a workplace that is already paying you for your time and expertise. So if you're a software developer working in the banking industry, I think you should either build something for other software developers or you should build something for the banking industry. And the reason is once you know who you're trying to help, then you can figure out, okay, how can we actually make progress in their lives? Like what do they actually want? As opposed to, you know, us getting drunk and then waking up at one in the morning with a great idea that we write in a notepad, you know, like the, the ideas we have at 1 a.m. are disconnected from any sort of human reality. So you need to get with the people. You need to go where the people are at. And it's just a lot easier if you start with a group that you're already connected to. The second step is to research these people. So in the same way that I went to the jewelry store and observed real customers buying jewelry... You need to go wherever your audience, wherever your target market hangs out, wherever they are. This is why it's a lot easier if you're already serving those people. So if you're a consultant or a freelancer, that's even better because then you know you might have maybe build uh, WooCommerce stores for retail folks. Well, now you can like observe what the patterns, what do they want from you over and over and over again. So. You know, my buddy Paul is a good example. He was building courses on WordPress using Restrict Content Pro, but he wanted a way of a student marking a particular lesson as complete in WordPress. So he just, him and his buddy Zach just built this super simple plugin called WP Complete that allows a student to click complete on that lesson and then kind of track their progress through a course built on WordPress. And it's doing really well for them because they were already in that world and they could observe not just the pain that they had, but the pain that the people around them had. So do your research, observe people in their habitat and uh, figure out like what they're struggling with and listen to how they want their life to be better. And these are, no one is just going to show up and say, 
you know, hi, my name is Justin. Right now I'm living in Edmonton, Alberta, where it's, you know, minus 30. I want to move to where I'm in now, the Okanagan, so I can ski more. What stands in my way? I, my job won't let me move. You know, I need to find a remote job, all this stuff. That's true. That's what I wanted. But most people don't talk like that. You have to kind of sit and observe and really get a sense of where are people now? What's their dream of a better life? And what stands in their way? And then marketing, good marketing, is just articulating that research back to people. So if you had sent me an email saying, uh, looking to make the jump from Edmonton to the Okanagan, I'd be like, yeah, how do I do that? Or if you'd sent me an email saying, feel stuck in your desk job and you want a remote job, I'd have been like, yeah, I do feel that way. It's almost like you read my mind, but really you just were observing and researching. So that's the second step is research. The third step is to form a hypothesis. And so, you know, my hypothesis after visiting the jewelry store was help remove the anxiety of buying jewelry so that I can be the impressive romantic boyfriend. That was my hypothesis. So I saw all these boyfriends in the jewelry store. They're nervous as hell. They don't know shit about romance. They're just like hoping that they don't fuck up. That's, that's their ultimate fear, right? They just don't want to fuck up. It's like, oh, I bought her the wrong thing, and now it's fucked up. So that was my hypothesis. And then I, the next step would be to, this is step four now, is to test your hypothesis. Go out and try to disprove the hypothesis. That's one mistake people make, is that they form this idea like, oh, I think this is the way people are thinking. But then they just go out and look for validation, like they want to validate that, that hypothesis. You want to invalidate the hypothesis. Do everything you can to invalidate it. And if it still comes out true on the other side, if it's like, no, people really, really want this, they really want to reduce the anxiety they feel when buying jewelry, then you're, you know you're onto something. And then the fifth step is to build something small that basically helps you to test that idea. So that could be, you know, it could be a landing page where you ask people to sign up for a waiting list, right? So you want some sort of conversion. It's either email addresses, dollars, phone number, something. You want some people to give you something in exchange for something. So if it's a landing page, it's like, here's my email address in exchange for being on your launch list. But maybe if you eventually want to build accounting software for startups, maybe you could build a start by building something tiny like uh, an Excel sheet that they could download for $19. And if all of a sudden you put that out into the world and a thousand people download your Excel spreadsheet, well, you've proven that people want what you have to sell, that they're willing to pay money for it. And now you can start iterating on your idea. And that's the last step is if everything works up to that point, then you keep iterating it on it. And to me, iteration is starting with the tiniest, most simple thing possible. And then, you know, taking the next step, taking the next step, taking the next step, building on it until eventually 
you could go from selling a downloadable Excel sheet to selling, you know, software as a service or something like that. And it's incredibly tough for people to do that. And, and every single time I'm launching something new, I'm forcing myself to, to put it out there as fast as I can. And one mm -hmm. tip, one tip actually I can share is to, to talk about it as fast as you can to people around you. So it kind of forces you to be accountable for the fact that actually you've started it and you kind of have to release it now because you've talked about it, right? Mm -hmm. So if you, yeah. if you keep for yourself too much, then it, you tend to just, you know, dwell on it for too long. Yeah. Yeah. Having a landing page is like usually the first step. My friend Patio11 says it's like putting your flag down on the internet. Like this landing page exists. This thing now has a, a space on the internet. And it's also, that's how I proved that market people wanted marketing for developers is I just put up a page that literally just said, marketing for developers, and then sign up and get a sample chapter. That's all it said. And uh, there was enough there. People were hungry enough for that thing that they were willing to sign up for that, even though it was very minimal, right? And once I knew that I had, you know, 500, 1,000, 2,000 people waiting for that, that book, that's what actually pushed me to, you know, kind of get it out. And yeah, it's the smallest thing possible. So for marketing for developers, I wrote one chapter. I said, here's the sample chapter. I wrote one chapter that people could download. And you know, that part took me a weekend, right? Here's the idea. Here's the landing page. Here's the sample chapter. And then you push it out into the world and you go, okay, what do people think? And you learn so much during that stage. Like, how hard is it to get customers? What channels worked to get customers? I'm sorry, not customers, signups. What worked for getting people to visit and sign up? What didn't work? Uh, how responsive were people to the sample? You know, all of these questions that you're going to need to ask about your product, it's like a good kind of testing ground for everything that's going to come after. Because if you launch something small and you're having a hard time marketing it when it's small, um, you're going to have a hard time marketing it when it's big. Those problems don't go away. But there are certain things that you can launch and you'll notice, especially if you launch a lot of things, wow, some things just gain traction way faster than others. Some things have better channels than others. Some things have better markets. This is something that a lot of people don't talk about. Like some markets are just better than other markets. My buddy Adam Wavin just released a PHP course called Test Driven Laravel. And he... This is the second thing he's ever launched in his life. And it's like he's killing everybody else. And part of it is he's like a super smart guy. But part of it is his market is perfect. It's all these PHP developers that have been downplayed their whole life, told that they're, you know, they're kind of the, the whipping boys of, uh, of the programming world. And now all of a sudden you're giving them the, the opportunity to learn clean code and all this other stuff. They're hungry for it, and you know he's done really well with that market. So, just to try to extract a little bit of what you said in terms of you know saying that it's the perfect market, would you agree to say that what you mean is really to have a niche? So, what we mean by niche is that a, a, an amount of people who share, who hang out, who hang out in the same places, who know each other somehow. So, if you get one, they are more likely to refer to each other. And the second thing is that it's tiny enough to be able to really talk to this audience really well. So as you said, PHP developers, and not only PHP developers, but PHP developers that probably have been 
doing that for a few years, I've been pissed off from hearing that PHP is dead or all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, would would you would you agree with this definition? Yeah, so I, I think that is part of it, but I think certain niches are better than others. Here's a good example. So my market is, first of all, let's just say there's software developers. Software developers is a pretty big market, but even that is a niche within itself, right? But software developers is a pretty good market because they are very curious. They want to improve themselves. They buy tools and courses and other stuff to make their lives better, right? So that's a pretty good market overall. But my market is within all of those group, those software developers, how many of them are working on their own product? Okay, well, now we've narrowed it down quite a bit. Like if I, if I had a product for... Like my buddy Josh has a has a, a book that helps software developers negotiate their salary. Well, that is a way bigger market. The number of developers looking to negotiate their salary is way bigger than those building a product to sell. Now, within those building a product to sell, how many of them actually want to learn marketing? Well, it's an even smaller group, you know, in, in my case. And I was lucky enough that the remaining slice of that pie was big enough to, you know, have a good launch. But there's definitely other ways I could have gotten a bigger piece of the pie, so to speak. And so, like, if I was going to narrow it down even more, like, software developers who are building their own product, who want to, you know, know how to market their products, but live in Germany, well, now I've really narrowed my audience too much, right? So that's part of what I'm saying. And I'm also saying there's just some markets like... That would be a good example. So like lawyers, for example, are a notoriously hard group to market to. Partly because they're older. They're not online. They don't congregate online as much. They bill for their time. There's just things that are more difficult about some markets than others. Maybe lawyers isn't a good example, but you know, college students is another one that people often try to go after. Small business, everyone wants to go after small the small business niche, but small business, I mean, that's like, you know, some of those people have no money. They're just like, mm-hmm. you know, hustling on the side or whatever. I don't know if I'm being clear, but you are. The, the there's. There's definitely some markets that are better than others. And that's something you have to consider when you're building a product. Some markets are just more eager to buy, have more money, have more you know, available channels to them. And when you see it, you're like, ah, that makes sense. Like, here, I'll give you one more example. Nathan, my buddy Nathan Barry with ConvertKit focused just on professional bloggers that turned out to be an amazing market. And here's why. Professional bloggers are solopreneurs. There's only one person you need to convince to take out their credit card. They all talk to each other. They're professional bloggers, so they will talk on their blog about your product. There's tons of uh, kind of people, influencers in that space that are eager for affiliate revenue. And so kind of going after that group and he he fell into it by accident but that group ended up being a huge boost to his business because he called it we're we have the best business model for one of the best markets in the world uh, it's just so much easier to 
capture their attention than, for example, trying to sell project management software to software development teams. Because now you got to convince 10 people on the team. You got to go. It's just a lot harder to reach those people. That's what I mean. I know I rambled there, but I, <laughs> it's something I've been thinking about a lot. Like we don't consider the market enough when we're marketing. So it's just like we just think that marketing is this magic sauce that works no matter who you're targeting. And the truth is that the product has a lot to do with it. And the market you've chosen has a lot to do with it. And maybe a lot of brilliant marketing is just recognizing when you have both of those. We have the right product for the right market. That's product market fit. And this market is like gangbusters. Like we could, you know, they, there's so much money there. They're so eager to buy. You know, those are the markets you want to go after. Markets that are like eager to buy as opposed to, you know, we often make it harder for ourselves, I think. They have money, they are more, they are willing to change their life or to make, you know, progress in their life, to improve their life or professional life. They know mm -hmm. each other. It's small enough so that you can really leverage the niche effect. And yeah, I think that's a good definition of it. Uh, it's probably something we can drill on even more together after this episode to, to find a good definition for it. Briefly, you have another project that you mentioned called you know, Tiny Marketing Wins, where every mm -hmm. week you share a tactic that marketers can use in their business. Yeah. There's one thing that amazed me on the homepage. Can you guess what it is? Uh... <laughs> I'm putting I'm you on the spot there. I'm really sorry. Uh, so I'm not sure. I've done a search and I've done it like trying to find the word hack on the homepage and it wasn't there. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, that's actual, like that's progress. That's what I mean. Like you didn't use the word growth hacks anywhere. You use it once somewhere, but it wasn't on the homepage. So fair play for not yeah. using hacks as a way to explain that it's just marketing tactics. Yeah. So I'm not really too much into like actual tactics because as you know, it's not what's going to build your business in the long term. But I think listeners like to have ideas or at least to have some some sort of seeds to be planted that could, they can then explore themselves. So if you had to yeah. choose three wins that mm -hmm. companies or solopreneurs can use uh, that would almost work for anybody, what would they be? Uh, the first is to cross-post your blog post to Medium. Um, so cross-posting to Medium doesn't hurt your SEO. It doesn't hurt anything. All you're doing is getting more exposure to a bigger audience. So at the top of the show, you uh, mentioned that you recognized me because of something I'd written ages ago. And the only reason you know about that is because there's a platform called Hacker News that I submitted it to. And it was number one on Hacker News all day. And it got tons of traction and got shared everywhere. So you need to connect your, the thing, if you're doing writing especially, you need to connect your writing with bigger audiences, bigger platforms. And Medium right now is just a great one. It's, it's where people are going to read. Um, I like to ask people what they read at night, how they read. And right now, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, I read Medium on my phone. I read Nuzzle on my phone. I read Pocket on my phone. And so you want to be figuring out how to get on you know, all of those. So cross post to medium, you go into medium, go to stories and there's a hidden kind of import button and you can import your blog posts that way. So that's one. 
The second one, I talk about this in, I wrote a book called Jolt, which is just filled with surprising marketing tactics, kind of unusual marketing tactics. And I think one that you got, one that's been working for me anyway is to send people physical mail. So you always want to look for where the white space is. So right now everybody is doing email marketing and they should. Email marketing is amazing. Everyone's doing Facebook ads and they should. Facebook ads are probably the best place to advertise right now. But where's the white space? Well, people don't get like real mail anymore. And so if you send them something in the mail, um, almost every time I've done this, the f- first thing people do, I-, I usually send stickers and a letter, uh, is they'll take a picture of it and post it on Twitter. So it's so unusual. Not only does it like market to the person you're sending it to, they end up sharing it with other people because it it's just like uh, out of the ordinary, right? So I would say people need to experiment with uh, sending physical mail. Um, and what's good? Another good tiny win. I, I'm like, there's going to be 52 this year, and already we're like, I think we've done 20. One, this is a little bit more boring. It's a little bit more plumbing, but every new project I set up, uh, I set up segment first. So, and you can do, use Google Tag Manager for this too. It does the same thing. But basically, it's one JavaScript snippet that you put on your website, and then it allows you to easily add integrations. So if you want to add Google Analytics, if you want to add the Facebook retargeting pixel, if you want to integrate with uh, Mixpanel, it allows you to do that just by flipping a switch. And if you're a software developer or you have a software developer on your team, it means they only need to write all of the kind of tracking events once. So you write your tracking events using Segment's API, and then Segment pipes that to everything. It pipes it to Google Analytics, pipes it to Mixpanel, pipes it everywhere. And it's a life it's a life changer. Once you start using it, it's just like, man, I can just flip the switch and automatically get all this information. It's especially helpful with the new changes Facebook's made to their Pixel, Facebook used to have like separate pixels for tracking and conversion. Now it's just one pixel. And now you can pipe all of your segment events automatically. You just flip the switch into you know, Facebook. It integrates directly with Facebook's pixel. So segment, segment.com, I would argue, is even more, I think, robust and advanced than Google Tag Manager. I think you can do more than... I think, I think it enables you to really track each person individually. I don't think yeah. uh, Google Tag Manager doesn't allow you to track people individually. They, they don't really connect the dot between these hits and this person, right? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. The people part, the, so there's an identify call in segment that is amazing. And now that identify call, it basically, if someone signs up, for example, for uh, your email list, well, then it's going to grab that email. It's going to see if there's a gravatar associated with it. Like it's going to start forming a profile on that person. And here's a, here's a fourth tip is if you use Mixpanel, go to the explore section and then click on people. And especially at the beginning, this is amazing qualitative information. You go into that and you can see their journey as they kind of go through your funnel. And so, you know, it might be, uh, again, like Anna in New Mexico she visits my site three years ago because she read this is a web page. But then I can see she came back when she saw this essay. Then I can see she signed up for my newsletter. Then I can see oh, she looked at my pricing page but didn't do anything about it. 
And what I'll do is I'll take that customer journey, but then I'll go and see what else was going on in their life at the same time. So I'll look through Twitter, I'll look through LinkedIn, I'll kind of develop, uh, I'll get more information on these folks and I'll, I'll try to basically figure out what was going on in their life that brought them to my site, you know? And often you'll find like them tweeting like, oh man, like I'm really struggling with this. And then all of a sudden you'll, they land on your webpage because they were struggling with that. And you're like, ah, okay, here's, you know, here's all this contextual information. And I'll put those into a PDF called customer journeys where I just go through their whole journey from, you know, anonymous visitor to customer. And it's been really helpful in figuring out how I can find more people like that. That's amazing. That's really, really good tips. I think we could have, we should do a second episode with just tips. <laughs> um, well, people can just sign up for Tiny Marketing Wins and then they can get them week by week. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Right. Last question, uh, Justin. You've been, you've been absolutely awesome. What are the top three resources you would recommend to digital marketers out there? Books, oh, podcasts, whatever it is. Okay. The funny thing is I just keep going back to the same books over and over again. So if you haven't read Influence, I think you should, by uh, David Cialdini. Ro- I think it's Robert Cialdini. Robert Ke- yeah, Robert Cialdini. Yeah. Or, and I, I'm saying his last name wrong, but just look Influence Robert. I think that's a great one. I think Rework is still one of my all-time favorite business books by the folks at Basecamp, Jason Fried, David Hanemeyer Hansen. I also think Derek Sivers has a really short book called Anything You Want. And I think Derek understands people better than most business people. And there's just so much like in there of how you can actually connect your product with real people. If you haven't read it yet, it's really good. It's, it's the story of how basically the lessons he learned when he was running CD Baby. So those are really good. I, th- I think also people need to go to more conferences and especially uh, marketers. The funny thing is I've been to a few marketing conferences. Those are fucking crazy. Like the marketers, marketing conferences are completely different than like, for example, product conferences or uh, more technical conferences or programming conferences. And I think marketers need to step outside of traditional marketing conferences and go to more programming conferences, go to more product-oriented conferences, go to customer uh, service conferences, like go to different ones because I think it'll make them better marketers. Just being able to talk to those people and kind of observe their world. Marketing, like I said, is everything from the beginning to the end uh, and not even the end. It just continues. How are you going to continue offering progress to people? And I think yeah, going and mixing with other people is a good way to learn that. Marketing conferences are really, really crazy because everybody's trying to sell to each other. That's as simple as it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, and yeah, I mean, I like them too, but there's definitely a big difference between them. And I'm, I'm always surprised by how much I learn when I'm hanging out with people that aren't like me. And so... Uh, so for me, I don't hang out with very many like marketers. And so going to those conferences is always a little bit eye opening, like, man, I don't know what you guys are talking about. And I think it's healthy, even though, you know, there might be some people there that are, you know, using tactics I don't like or are from the dark side or whatever. Once I actually get to know those people, sometimes I realize that they're, you know, you know, doing some interesting things or doing some interesting work. 
So yeah, go to conferences, hang out with people who aren't like you. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, uh, Justin, once again for your time. And I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, this has actually been really fun. Thanks, man. No problem. Thank you. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always unsubscribe for sure, if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet, and we always... Uh, can improve. So you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com. Good or bad, please feel free to send me an email. And the last thing I'd like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode, please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again and au revoir. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.